WLVR and PBS 39 are pleased to present a special event at the Philadelphia Flower Show on Wednesday, June 9th. Join me, Mike McGrath, host of You Bet Your Garden, and flower show designer Sam Lemhenny for a behind-the-scenes tour, followed by refreshments and talks by Sam and I. Tickets are limited. Visit wlvr.org flower show today. This event is made possible by Lehigh Valley Home and Garden Center. From the buggy studios of Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA, it is time for another squishy episode of chemical-free horticultural hijinks. You bet your garden. I'm your host, Mike McGrath. You say squash, I say bug, but you say beetle. On today's show, we won't call the whole thing off. Instead, we'll try and help you protect your zucchini. Well, are we still on the air? Plus, it's another fabulous phone call show. Cats and kittens, just potential guests are busy changing their phone number. So we will take that heap and help it. Of your fabulous phone call questions, comments, tips, tricks, suggestions, and harrowingly hideous horrifications. Whoa. So keep your eyes and your ears right here, true believers, because we're going to learn you the difference between a bug and a beetle right after this. Support for You Bet Your Garden comes from Coast of Maine, creating organically approved gardening soils and plant foods for over 25 years. Part of Coast of Maine's mission is to be the most trusted partner to professionals and homeowners who believe that authentic, natural, and organic garden and lawn products play a critical role in the health of our communities and the living planet we share. Learn more at coastofmaine.com. Welcome to another thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. I am your host, Mike McGrath. Coming up later, a question of the week that asks you to decide what is killing your squash. Is it a bug? Is it a beetle? It's so exciting. And we'll get to it after your fabulous phone calls. But a couple of weeks ago, we asked you to guess the inspiration for the title of the question of the week, which we called Careful With That Garlic, Eugene. Susan Higgins of Lewistown, Maine, was technically the first to reply with the Pink Floyd song. And I said, yes, but what's the name of the song? Try as she might, she couldn't come up with it, which led to Jim Flanders in Abington, Pennsylvania, who correctly identified it as the Pink Floyd song, Careful With That Axe, Eugene. Congratulations, Jim. Your no prize won't be in the mail soon. This was followed by another correct answer from Pat Cummings in Nashville. And then things got weird. When Sylvia Pesek of Haynesville, Louisiana wrote, the answer to Mike's reference to not crushing garlic, Eugene, is the Firesign Theater album, Don't Crush That Dwarf, Hand Me the Pliers. I think. I was sure until I checked it out. Hey, that was the early 70s, the height of my gloriously misspent youth. I think Eugene may have moved to the West Coast. Totally incorrect, but brilliant, Sylvia. Made my day. Sylvia corrected herself a few hours later, writing, I've now had my coffee. The Eugene reference was to Pink Floyd's Careful With That Axe, Eugene. 
I should know better than to wake up on a Saturday morning after four hours sleep and try to do anything, anything before my coffee. We got lots more guesses, including one that thought it was a reference to an episode of Bob's Burgers. Not suspicious at all, Brian, in State College. Oh, you crazy kids. All right, time to get back to work. 888-492-9444. Marie, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Hello. Hello. How are you? I'm good, thank you. And where is Marie good? I'm in Westchester, Pennsylvania. I have the groundhog debacle of the century. Okay. I have been battling these demonic foes for probably 10 years, and I, I'm i at my wit's end. Evil squirrels? I, uh, called a, I like squirrels. They are not evil to me. But, you know, I called a wildlife place, and it was $175 for trapping. I got five trappings, right. only two groundhogs. Okay. The rest were raccoons and a possum. My neighbor trapped them, and I, I have like five holes, and they're just like three at a time pop up. Groundhogs are one of the most difficult mammals uh, to control. Now, years ago, when I was the editor of Organic Gardening Magazine, when saber-toothed tigers still roamed the earth, um, we had um, a listener, a, 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 a reader kind of favorite remedy. Um, so do you have cats by any chance? I do, but they're indoor. But Perfect. They can be on the porch, and those kids can come out of their holes 18 inches away and just keep their heads up and not be phased by them. <laughs> yeah, I know. I've seen uh, prairie dogs do the same thing. <laughs> it is, they are fearless. Uh, they're very powerful. Think about claws that can dig through dirt like that um, so easily. Um, now, I, I, I also want to drop back and, and say one thing. Raccoons, although they don't dig holes in your yard, are incredibly dangerous. Um, they are running around bags of rabies. Um, they attack dogs all the time. They attack outdoor um, pets. And uh, their feces is demonic. Um, it, it carries all sorts of nasty organisms in it. There was a terrifying episode of, I believe it was a, a Nature on PBS, uh, that showed this guy sweeping out his shed where the raccoons, of course, were breaking in and having little parties at night. And then they analyzed what he was sweeping out, and that man never worked without a respirator on after that. So, um, oh, wow. Yeah, they are not benign. I kind of like possums uh, because they eat roof rats. Um, but, uh, you know, you don't want uh, raccoons to take up residence because once a raccoon finds a place where it likes to be, it's, uh, its center of gravity is really small. You know, it's generally just like a one block area. So um, I'm not gonna tell you what to do, but uh, raccoons should not just be let out of the cage. Okay, so what the readers were telling us back at Organic Gardening was um, don't clean your litter box uh, really well until like the cat starts pooping in your boots or something like that. And make sure uh -huh. all of the solid material is removed carefully and flushed or trashed, whatever. 
Uh, but then it, take the stinky kitty litter and pour it down their hole, their main hole, where you see them coming in and out of. This is the equivalent mm -hmm. of somebody bringing a dump truck full of used kitty litter up to your front door and push inside, and you would turn to whoever and go, we can't live here anymore. So almost without a doubt, they will simply start digging another tunnel somewhere nearby. Right. And so, you know, you make sure your cats have lots of water. And, uh, you know, if you want to get even a little bit, wait until they're almost finished with their new digs because they intricate tunnels underground. And then hit them, this new tunnel, with more kitty litter. Again, always removing the fecal matter. We're just using the urine-scented um, uh -huh. litter. And no one that I can remember, we had hundreds of people try this because they drive people crazy. Um, a couple of people had to do it a third time. Um, but after that, they said uh, it was just, just too much trouble for the groundhogs and they moved somewhere else. Because groundhogs- Really? Even though I probably have four or five on the property at least. Yeah, um, groundhogs are very fastidious. If you could see ah. underground, they have all sorts of different rooms that they've built for themselves, tunneled out. And one of them is strictly a toilet room. Um, and once they use Clever. that- Once they use that toilet uh, area, you know, for some period of time, uh, they close it up and, and build a fresh one. They like to uh, be clean. So, I mean, that's, you know, that's, that's one way, but they are uh, uh, just a treacherous pest. And I would urge you perhaps to, what do you, uh, maybe I shouldn't ask, what do you do with the trapped ones? Well, um, I haven't trapped lately. My neighbor moved. He tells me he drives them like 10 miles away. Mm. I'm not sure. I didn't really ask. Don't tell, you know. Yeah, uh-huh. Uh, you know, it may sound cruel to people, but um, I would advise taking them to a vet and having them uh, euthanized in a, a painless manner uh, because there have been great studies showing that relocated groundhogs um, do not survive in their new home, and it's, it's, it's a miserable existence until they pass away. So you're not doing the creature mm. any favors by dropping it off into some other groundhog's territory. Gotcha. Okay. Well, I'm going to have to get the litter on uh, full tilt here yep. and get all the holes. Yeah, one thing I used to love when I was writing about this is if you don't have a cat, um, maybe your neighbor will lend you some of their used litter. Like, you know, they're going to come back for it after time, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Correct. Right. Well, hey, I'm desperate. I'm willing to try it. I hear you. So we'll we'll get on this. Okay. Well, good luck to you. It is a tough problem. I'll see what I can find that All right. may be a little new. Sounds good. Thank you so very much. Oh, my pleasure. Take care. Gary, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Hi, Mike. Thank you for taking my call. Well, thank you for making it, Gary. How you doing? 
I'm doing fine. Little, a little, um, cracking up a little bit over. <laughs> I have a question about corn gluten meal. Yes. And wondering, is there <clears throat> a certain temperature to be placing that down? And um, then I also had a question about uh, grub halt. Is there a temperature involved with that also? Okay. All right. Let's start I'm with a, the corn I'm gluten a meal. Fused. I'm sorry. Yes, okay. you're corn fused. Good. Good. I said I'm a little I, corn fused over yeah, this. Yeah, I do the <laughs> jokes here, Gary. <clears throat> okay. Let's. Uh, where are you? I am Cinnamons in New Jersey. Oh, okay. I have relatives over there. I hate to tell you, but it is too late for the corn gluten meal. That should be applied okay. when the forsythia begin to bloom in your area. And I'm in a colder climate okay. slightly than you are, and my forsythia is almost done blooming. So you missed that window. Uh, but the, okay. the ways to tell are the blooming of the forsythia is a reliable way to tell. If you want to invest in a soil thermometer, it's when the soil temperature reaches 55 degrees as measured four inches down. You can also okay. follow the reports on the internet for your specific area, and they will tell you what the soil temperature is four inches down. So you can be right there next year. Okay. Um, the nice thing about corn gluten meal is it's always a good lawn fertilizer. If you haven't done anything to your lawn this spring and you have the quote CGM in hand, I would put it down now and not, not worry about it because okay. you know there's weeds sprouting all the time. Um, or if you right. want, save it for the fall and use it then. But don't feed your, your lawn with anything over the summer. Okay. Okay. So, well, th that was my other question. Is that a twice then, twice a year, uh, put it down when the forsythia starts and then towards the end of the season again? Yes and no. Yes and meal? no. The advice has changed since um, um, Ohio, not, not Ohio State, Iowa State, sorry guys, uh, developed corn gluten meal as a natural pre-emergent. I think what they're saying now is when you see the very first gr uh, gold on your forsythia, uh, put down okay. corn gluten meal, and then if you want to be really sure, follow that six weeks later with another application. Um, okay. But there is also a time in August, mid-August, when what I call the wintertime weeds will start germinating. And it's also the time, most important time, to feed a lawn if you're going to feed it. So my money would always be feeding it as soon as the forsythia bloom because the pre-emergent effect lasts for several weeks and do it again around the middle of August because that's when your lawn really wants the feeding to recover from summer heat stress. Now okay. grub halt is a very new form of BT called BTG for Galleria. And what that does is when you put it down on your lawn right about now, because I haven't seen any Japanese beetles yet, uh, their stinky larval form, the grubs, will ingest the BT and die. But nothing else will be harmed. BT is very pest specific. So I would think this is the right time to put down grub halt, because, which is a, a Gardens Alive trade name for BTG. Um, but it's not something you see around in other places either. Uh, when the soil is warm enough, which it is right now, and I don't think we've been delayed too much, um, putting it down now, it'll get ingested by the grubs before they can emerge as armored adults. So I think 
One, you miss the window. Two, you're right there. Okay, great. All right, man. That's very helpful. Okay. Yeah, I appreciate your, your help, and uh, it's wonderful. All right. All Thank right. you so much. It's great to speak with you. It's great to speak with you and say hi to my Aunt Leanie there in uh, Cinnamonson. I sure will. <laughs> okay, take, take care, care, man. Have a good day. You too. All right, bye-bye. Well, it's time for me to take a little break and remind one and all that the fabulous Philadelphia Flower Show will be outdoors this year for the first time. Specifically, it'll be held in South Philly's historic Roosevelt Park, June 5th through the 13th. But don't go looking for all the details at theflowershow.com just yet, because we'll be right back to defeat the enemies of your squash and take more of your squishy phone calls. I'm Mike McGrath, and you're listening to You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com. Welcome back to another thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. I am your host, Mike McGrath. Coming up in a little bit, we're going to learn you the difference between squash bugs and cucumber beetles, because either one of them could be eating your zucchini. And we'll take more of your fabulous phone calls. But first, a little bit of a special feature. This is prime time for tomato planting in most of the country. And we had a caller lined up who was going to ask questions about tomatoes, but they got called away. So I'm going to, off the top of my head, just like when I do public appearances, if I were to do those again, I am going to hit you with a number of very important things to remember about tomato planting. Number one, you never plant tomatoes in the same spot three years in a row or wilts, soil-borne wilts like verticillium and fusarium will build up around the roots of the tomato and by year three, certainly by year four, the plant will just yellow from the bottom up and die very quickly. So you're looking at a two-foot footprint for your tomato plant, right? Figure it out, that's what you took up last year. You only have to move those two feet away, but try and mark where your tomatoes were growing so that you can rotate them throughout the seasons. If you got no room left to rotate and you've seen the symptoms already, which again is the yellowing of the leaves from the base up, you might wanna grow your tomatoes in containers for a couple of years because after a couple of years, those wilts die out and you can use the same spot again. Okay, and yes, that's why your tomatoes died last year. Next, tomatoes are unique in that they grow auxiliary roots along their buried stem. No, no, no other garden crop really does this. So when you plant tomatoes, you want to plant them deeply. You don't need to have anything other than 
you know, a couple of inches, two, three inches above ground, pull off all the leaves on the bottom, drop that sucker down there, and then here's your other tip. Crush up a dozen dried eggshells. Now, those of you who've been listening for years, you got your eggshells ready to rock and roll. Otherwise, go to a place that sells breakfast, you know, give them a five-gallon bucket, you get all the eggshells you need. But eggshells in the planting hole will prevent blossom and rot. That's, and it's one of the most heartbreaking things that can happen. It's when the hiney of your tomato, which was perfect the day before, starts to turn black, and then it rots going up. It is tragic. And only one thing can prevent blossom end rot, and that is calcium, adequate soil calcium. So if you got the eggshells, if you can get the eggshells, that's my preference, because they break down very slowly. Otherwise, put a cup of an organic plant food labeled for tomatoes. Um, tomato tone, tomatoes alive, uh, your friend the tomato, I don't care. But if it's organic, and it specifies tomatoes, it's going to have a huge amount of calcium in it. And because it is organic, it's safe to put it on the roots. It won't burn your plant. Then, that's all. You're not going to put any other nice stuff. You're not going to put compost in the hole. You're not going to put peat moss in the hole. You're not going to put old alkaline batteries in the hole to try to attract the, the cosmic things that will make your tomato grow faster. Nope. You want to fill that hole back up with the soil you removed to dig the hole. That way, the tomato's adventurous roots, remember, they're going to they're gonna grow out like crazy, um, will... Uh, won't stay in this island of soil. This goes for all your plants, things like shrubs and trees. Um, you never want to improve the soil in the planting hole. But after you've planted, you know, tomato root, crushed eggshells or other form of calcium, regular old soil, then you improve the soil on the top by mulching the tomato plant with two inches of good quality yard waste compost, not composted manure or any other weasel words. You really want to use compost here. And compost is good for all your plants, but it's especially good for tomatoes because it prevents disease. And tomatoes, of course, are prone to every disease known in horticulture. So having a two inch layer of compost on top of the soil is a real mitzvah for the plant. Now, if you live in a really warm climate where summer gets hot, you can do that again mid-season. Put another two inches out there. Uh, that'll feed your plant, protect it against disease, and it's just wonderful. Now, the other thing is tomatoes are vines. So depending on what you bought or what you're gonna grow, um, Indeterminate tomatoes, the ones that grow those big beefsteak tomatoes and everything, they need sturdy support. So, and little tomato cages, I, I use those for pepper plants. So go to youbetyourgarden.org, click on where it says answers to hundreds of your garden problems, and type in tomato cages in the uh, search line, and that'll show you what you need to do. If you don't want to do that, stick with determinate tomatoes. These are tomatoes that have been bred to top out at four to five feet, and they can get by with much less support. 
And if you don't know what your tomato is, so to speak, just look it up online. Look at different catalog descriptions, and it'll tell you if it's determinant, which means determined to stay tidy and neat, or indeterminate, which means it's going to grow 12, 13 feet over the course of a season. And if you do look up that article, you'll find out how you can get 14 feet of tomato vine in a six-foot cage. It's magical. It's a miracle. But it works. Okay? So there are many other tomato-growing articles at our website. I urge you to read them, especially if you're a newbie like so many of you out there are. Welcome to the craze. Um, and have fun. Oh, and don't leave your tomatoes out after they turn uh, fully ripe. They lose a lot of flavor in the sun. Soon as they fully ripen up, bring them inside. They'll taste fabulous. And now, back to your fabulous phone calls. All right, 888-492-9444. Michael, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Hi, thank you, Mike. Thanks for taking my call. Well, thank you for making it, Michael. How are you doing? I'm wonderful. I'm on the, uh, I know you always ask, so I'm just going to beat you to the punch here. Yeah. I am in on the shores of Lake Erie mm-hmm. in Lakewood, Ohio, about four miles due west of d- downtown Cleveland. Oh, okay. Yeah, the, the, the Paris of the states. <laughs> city of light, city of magic. <laughs> All right. What could we do you for, Michael? Okay. Um, I've been uh, an organic gardener since I'm sure you were there many, many years ago. In fact, I was just thinking the other day, this, my, one of my earliest memories in the early 70s is buying a T-shirt from an ad in Organic Gardening Magazine. It says, uh, uh, weed it and reap. <laughs> it had a, a little worm in the middle. I don't know if you remember those or not. I can't find them anymore. Yeah, no, that that was the old Digest size magazine. Yeah. So anyway, no, anyway, I consider myself a successful home gardener. I have like 10, 11 uh, raised beds. Excellent. The one thing I'm having trouble with is cauliflower. Mm. The plants grow beautifully, mm-hmm. but they won't develop a head or if they look like you know, they don't look very good. And uh, what, if you were me, what would you do? Um, I don't grow cauliflower. Um, so, uh, and your other plants, do you grow broccoli? Uh, broccoli, everything else, cabbage, uh, Brussels sprouts, uh, all of that kind of spring stuff. I start from, I start my own seeds mm-hmm. under grow lights. Right. And I buy them from, you know, I buy them from the nursery, too. Right. And nothing works. Uh, uh, and, you know, broccoli and cauliflower are kind of related. Matter of fact, they cross them professionally to make, like, broccolini and stuff. Um, if, you're mm-hmm. getting, if you're getting good heads on your broccoli, I'm not sure why um, your cauliflower wouldn't be heading up. Is it getting too much sun? Too much sun? Yes. Uh, no, Ca- I don't. I, I Well, it gets full sun, yes. Yeah, well, cauliflower them, is kind those, of a those. cool weather crop. And there right. is how, uh, I don't mean to get personal, but how big are your leaves? 
they're not very big right now. I mean, uh, right. no, but they grow full size. I mean, they, they, the plant grows. Okay. It looks beautiful and healthy, and, I mean, everything is thriving, mm-hmm. except a head is coming up in the middle. Mm-hmm. Well, and uh, my soil is wonderful. I, it's, uh, it's, I supplement it every year with leaf humus and with uh, my own backyard, my own mulch. Okay, and I have I haven't had it tested in three or four years, but I'm sure it's it's uh, it's very it's very fertile. So oh, if there were any deficiencies, it would show up in the other plants as well. Uh, do you rotate them? Do you right. try and uh, give them different areas in the garden? Absolutely. Okay. Are there any? I, I feel like I'm losing on what's my line. Um, are there and is are there any areas? of your garden beds that are somewhat shaded? No. You're killing me. You're killing me, Mike. You're killing me here. <clears throat> so I know. have you tried growing them in containers? I know that seems foolish because you have so much no. bed space. Okay, my first suggestion is a try them in big containers and grow them in an area that gets partial shade, especially um, in the afternoon. And one thing, okay. one thing we can try is an old trick to get the biggest heads and the nicest colored heads, which of course is white, is once the plants have kind of fully grown, you bring the leaves up and use a clothespin to um, cover the area where the head will be growing. So I'm going to suggest that I've heard that, yeah. in addition to doing a couple of, of plants in containers and them not getting full sun in the summertime, um, I might suggest using, do you have any row covers around? Do you ever use uh, Remay or row covers of any kind? No. I, I would definitely, um, and, and by the way, it, uh, the row covers professionally made or perfect, but if you have an old curtain, an old sheer curtain laying around, you can cut that up and make your own row cover. And I would use okay. the, I would use that to kind of imitate the leaf covering early in the season, and especially with the container-grown ones, as because you get a summer in July and August. Um, I would really pamper right. them then. I would make sure they get extra water and I would make sure that they get full morning sun and as little afternoon sun as possible. So, you know, containers on wheels or not, you know, if you do one plant per container, you can get by with a probably a 12 inch pot, maybe 15. So you can move them around. Okay, how deep, how deep should it be? Uh, well, the, the interesting thing is uh, when you say a 12 inch pot, it's 12 inches diameter, and it's 12 inches in height. So, you know, okay. it's one thing about gardening that's made easy. But I'll tell you what, I, I, I think I've probably heard of this problem before. So I'll do some additional research on this. So you don't dare miss an episode coming up. Okay. And that's all I got, Michael. Doesn't anybody screen these calls? What's all the right. matter with you people? <laughs> Hey, uh, if you got a minute, real, just very briefly here, I have a small bone to pick with you. Uh-oh. Uh, I, I'll be brief, I promise you. Uh, Is it my own It's about uh, solar solarization. Yeah? I did this. I followed your instructions 
to the letter mm-hmm. uh, about four, three, four years ago. Right. I used like three ply, uh, three mil, three mil, uh, you know, poly. Clear. You know, everything was got it. It didn't survive. I had to replace it twice. I ended up buying six mil, and so uh, I and I had I wasn't anything sharp. It was just it didn't didn't live. I didn't withstand the weather, the sun and the wind and the top of it. It, it kept cracking and breaking. And uh, anyway, uh, oh. if you made any adjustments to your suggestions here, are you still sticking with three mil? Um, I actually. Um, the original suggestions, not suggestions, they were instructions from a, uh, a variety of state extension services, explained that one mil thick was the very best, but then it could be fairly fragile. And they said, if, if you find problems with splitting or anything like that, try two mil. Um, have you gone to our website and reviewed that article? Yes, I just, uh, I did, oh, a month or so ago, because I just helped my brother mm-hmm. uh, in Missouri. I was just right. back last week in Missouri and helped him do that, this to his garden. And he got, my suggestion to him was six mil, right. because I said three mil just wasn't, wasn't strong. It wouldn't, didn't withstand the weather, the sun and the, wind, the elements. And? And, uh, yeah, and he did it, that, he did that, and mm-hmm. I don't know, uh, we'll see, in yeah. October... Uh, you know, if if my advice was any good. Yeah, no, uh, where you are, it, it, well, it, your problems were different, but you you need a lot of sun. And um, six mil, according to the researchers, was not transmitting the heat as well as a thinner plastic. So, so all yeah, right, okay. that's two strikes. Why don't you just throw at me, okay, and put me on base? <laughs> Hey, all right. Hey, uh, I listen to your show often, and uh, I'm so I'm so glad to get to speak with you finally. Yeah, I never want to hear from you again. <laughs> all right. Okay. All right, Michael. You have a great summer, man. You too, Mike. Bye. Bye, bye. Well, it's time for me to take a little break and remind everybody with itchy fingers that May is a great month for growing peas and salad greens but not so great for rushing out tropical crops like tomatoes and peppers. So you don't want to plant tropical crops until the nighttime temperature is steadily in the 50s. Look up your 10-day forecast. If there's a 42 in there, keep the plants happy and warm, but wait till after to plant them. They just can't stand temperatures below 50 degrees. But don't go checking the weather just yet. We'll be right back with the pests of squash and more of your pestiferous phone calls. I'm Mike McGrath, and you're listening to You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com. WLVR and PBS 39 are pleased to present a special event at the Philadelphia Flower Show 
on Wednesday, June 9th. Join me, Mike McGrath, host of You Bet Your Garden, and flower show designer Sam Lemhenny for a behind-the-scenes tour, followed by refreshments and talks by Sam and I. Tickets are limited. Visit wlvr.org flower show today. This event is made possible by Lehigh Valley Home and Garden Center. Welcome back to another thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden from Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. I am your host, Mike McGrath, and we're in the stretch now, cats and kittens. In just a little bit, we'll get to the question of the week. You say squash beetles. I say squash bugs. Somebody else yells cucumber beetles. Well, one of you is wrong. And the other two have identified a serious pest of your zucchini and other types of squash. We'll learn you all about those differences after a couple more of your fabulous phone calls at 888-492-9444. Michael, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Hi, how you doing, Mike? I am just ducky, thanks for asking. Michael, how are you? I'm doing good. And where is Michael doing good? I'm doing good in Willenboro, New Jersey. Oh, okay, very good. The Garden State. What what can we do you for, yeah. Michael? Um, bought some cheap uh, grapes from. I uh, probably shouldn't say where I bought them from, but one of the box stores. Right. Uh, they were five dollars a piece. I think they are uh, Thompson's and Valencia's uh, seedless uh, green and seedless. Um, Red grapes. Okay. And wondering, wondering, should I have even tried to plant them? Because I think I'm in zone seven or seven A, and um, I don't know how conducive that is to grapes. Well, and if I actually planted them right. Well, you can't plant them right. They're seedless. <laughs> the, the, the great, I got you. the great gods of gardening <laughs> have no sense of humor when it comes from burying fruit. So. Here's the deal. Um, There are a number of eating grapes that grow very well in New Jersey. The only wine grape that does very well there is Chardonnay. Um, The red, really big red wines, they all come from California or Australia or Washington State. But it is, uh, there are many eating grapes, as you point out, that um, that grow very well where you are, things like Concord and stuff like that. And but you would plant um, a rooted stock. You would get a, a root stock onto which has been grafted the variety of your choice, and you would plant that, uh, making sure to keep that um, graft, which is very visible above the soil line. Don't let it ever get covered by mulch or anything like that. And then um, you do have to do some pruning every season. And if you have great success, you'll need to remove leaves and grape clusters during the season because the plant can only support so much wealth, so to speak. And I always think this is why there's so many 
um, recipes with grape leaves in Roman and uh, Greek culture. They knew to take a lot of the leaves off. So, you know, you can eat the grape leaves. Um, don't worry about any clusters you take off. If you don't take them off, you won't get uh, good grapes at the end of the season. But it's very doable. It's just one of those things where you have to pay attention. And I, <clears throat> have there been any lanternfly sightings in New Jersey? You know, we're all, Not that I have heard. Yeah, neither have I, which um, I'm, I'm surprised because all I got to do is walk over the Ben Franklin Bridge, right? So, um, right. <laughs> yeah, but um, they're known for attacking grapes, but they're not known in your area. So I would say if you have okay. the room and you want to do a little reading and learn about them, eating grapes are much easier to grow than wine grapes. And within a couple of years, you could be getting huge harvests. Okay. All right, so man. I didn't waste my time doing it. No, I? no, no. Those grapes are for eating, not for planting. Okay. All right, uh, all okay. right Michael. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Oh, you take care, sir. Nice to talk to you. Bye-bye. Yes, sir. Thank you. Well, they saw it first in Southeast PA, and it's spreading further every day. It's doing our crops and trees a lot of harm. It's an insect species that's not native, reproducing at a very high rate of speed. And folks, that's cause for some alarm. Now, once you dig what I have dug, you'll be hit to this invasive bug. And friend, you'll want to help to stop it spread. And when you see that little critter gonna take a swing like a home run hitter and smash that spotted lantern fly dead. Die, 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 spotted lantern fly. When you see me coming, you'll know your end is nigh. I got a fly swatter, I'm gonna chase you all the way back to Asia. Die, 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 spotted lantern fly. In the fall, find the eggs on a wall tree trunk and scrape them off into an alcohol dunk, and surely that will cause them to expire. When the nymphs hatch from the eggs in spring, wrap your trees with a sticky tape ring, but save the birds by covering with chicken wire. Tree of Heaven is their preferred host. Yeah, that's the tree it likes the most. So if you got one in your yard, chop it down. Don't transport firewood, brush, or debris, because they'll hide in there and you'll never see them. Hitch a ride with you to the very next town. Die, 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 spotted lanternfly. When you see me coming, you'll know your end is nigh. I got a flash water. I'm going to chase you all the way back to Asia. Die, 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 spotted lanternfly. All right, it is time for the question of the week, which we're calling squash beetles, squash bugs. What is squashing my zucchini? Abby writes, I'm originally from northeastern PA, but moved to Middle Tennessee a few years ago. My garden was doing great until last year when squash beetles killed all my zucchini. I pulled out the plants and tried to get rid of the beetles, but I'm wondering if I should dig up and replace my soil this year. What do you suggest? First, let's do an ID check, especially because there is no such thing as a, quote, squash beetles. Adult squash bugs are around half an inch long, brownish black, elongated, and covered with fine hairs. If Abby's creatures are less elongated and more shield-shaped, she may have stink bugs instead. 
They look remarkably alike, and both pests are known to attack squash. But if the pest doesn't look anything like a stink bug, she might mean cucumber beetles, which come in two varieties, striped and spotted. Striped cucumber beetles are a quarter inch long, yellow with black stripes down their backs. They mostly feed on cucumbers, but occasionally make mischief on melons and squash. Adults overwinter under plant debris, emerging in spring to feed on your veggies, mate, and then the females lay tiny little yellow-orange eggs at the base of the plants. Around mid-June, the eggs are going to hatch, and the larvae dig down and nibble away at the roots of your plants for about six weeks. That's when they can be controlled by beneficial nematodes. Water these microscopic good guy predators into the soil at the base of the plants early on a July evening, and the larvae should be devoured. Yeah. Spotted cucumber beetles are about the same size, but they have black spots instead of stripes, which may be why they're called spotted beetles. <clears throat> anyway, they're more of a greenish yellow, and they lay their eggs earlier in the season. Their underground larvae feed and pupate much faster, often leading to multiple generations in a typical year, which makes the timing of nematode applications more critical. These beetles also pestiferize a much wider range of plants, including corn, in which case their underground pest self is known as the corn rootworm. Control measures are the same for both types of beetles. Promptly remove and destroy any infested plants, including any corn stalks, at the end of the season to reduce the following year's numbers. In spring, position new plants as far away as possible from the previous year's problem areas. Back to squash bugs, which attack plants like winter squash, zucchini, and pumpkins, sometimes cucumbers and melons. These bugs are nasty bad actors that infect the plants with a virus. Once they start feeding aggressively, the leaves droop, blacken, and fall off. The plant itself often dies, and even if it doesn't, it rarely produces any more fruit. These pests also overwinter in the adult stage under mulch and other debris. So one tactic is to remove all of the mulch in your garden about a month after you shut things down. Burn or hot compost the mulch and replace it with a cover crop or a nice fresh mulch of shredded leaves, which should be in abundance at that time of year. Or hold off on that new mulch. Place boards on the ground near where infested plants were growing. Check them every morning for adults looking for a place to spend the winter and destroy them. That's the adults, not the boards. The following season, be sure not to plant in the same spot as squash grew the previous year. Remove any protective winter mulch and don't replace it, as it could still harbor the pests. Instead, spread an inch of rich finished compost on top of the soil to keep weeds down and feed the plants perfectly. Now, numerous studies have shown spun polyester row covers applied early in the season to be the single most effective squash bug tactic. Make sure those covers are tight to the ground and check them frequently. Yeah, you'll have to remove the covers when the first female flowers appear, but that's fine. You're off to a great start.
as soon as you remove your row covers, place boards loosely on the soil alongside your plants. Like we said before, the adults will hide under these boards at night, much like slugs. Go out early in the morning and scrape any squash bugs and or slugs off the bottoms of the boards into a bucket with some soapy water in the bottom. And or dust diatomaceous earth, a really cool prehistoric mined natural product around the base of your plants. Incredibly sharp on a microscopic level, it will dehydrate and desiccate any squash bugs and slugs that try to cross over the white powder. Hand pick and destroy any adults you see, especially early in the season. You'll greatly minimize problems if you prevent egg laying by those codgers from last year. Any eggs you miss will hatch into nymphs, the wingless, immature stage of the squash bug. They start out a pale green, darken as they get older, and look a little like smaller, dumpier versions of the adults. Hand pick or vacuum up these evil children, or spray them with insecticidal soap, a light summer spray horticultural oil, or a spinosad product. Call them vile names and insult their ancestors. And finally, plant things like alyssum, calendula, daisies, dill, fennel, and mustard greens near your squash and cucumbers. The small pollen and nectar-rich flowers that adorn those plants will attract the tachnid bug, an especially beneficial insect that preys on squash bugs. Well, that sure was some potentially confusing information about the many enemies of your zucchini. Now, wasn't it? Luckily for yous, one, we did not include squash vine borers in this article for fear your tiny little head could explode. And two, this question of the week and many more about squash family pests appears in print at the Gardens Alive website. To read all of these things over at your leisure or your leisure, just click the link for the question of the week at our website, which is still and will forever be, youbetyourgarden.org. Gardens Alive supports the You Bet Your Garden Question of the Week, and you will always find the latest question of the week. Where, kids? At the Gardens Alive website. Yikes, my producer is threatening to squish my squash if I don't get out of the studio. We must be out of time. But you can call us anytime at our brand new number, 888-492-9444, or send us your email, your tired, your poor, your wretched refuse, teeming towards our garden shore at YBYG at WLVT.org. Please include your location, like city and state. <clears throat> You'll find all of this contact information at our website, YouBetYourGarden.org where you'll also find the answers to all of your garden questions. Hundreds of them, I'm telling you. Audio of this show, video of this show, audio and video of old shows. Aye! And, of course, our internationally renowned podcast. You Bet Your Garden is a half-hour public television show, an hour-long public radio show, and podcast, all produced and delivered to you weekly by Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. Our radio show is distributed by PRX, the Public Radio Exchange. 
You Bet Your Garden was created by Mike McGrath. Mike McGrath was created when an entity from another world had him spin two giant carnival wheels, each with a marking for half a superpower that would be combined. All right, let's spin those wheels. Wheel number one. X-ray, excellent, excellent. Wheel number two. Hearing? I got x-ray hearing? What good is that? Ugh. Ken Queter plays our theme song. Our chief content officer is Yoni Greenbaum. Our angel of the airways is Christine Dempsey. Our sound engineer is house hunting Charlie Sarah. Our social media director is Amanda Norfleet. Check out her fine work at the You Bet Your Garden Facebook page. Tavia Minnick is our peerless princess of profound production. The always lovely Jonas Bowen is our audio editor. Judicious Jake Boyer takes care of the video. Our directorial director of direction is the harassed and harried Javier Diaz. Andy Cummins continues to take our temperature at the door. Zach the Takwasneski is in the house on the Haunted Hill, ably assisted by the usual gang of idiots, including Eric Werner, Jacob Morris, Jeff Frederick, Carlin Canfield, and many more. Too expensive to mention. Terrible Tim Fallon is still not our executive producer. I'm your host, Mike McGrath. I'd like to say something funny here, but I'm too busy planting potatoes, hardening off tomatoes, and worrying about my squash. And I want to hear that you've been doing the same thing next week. Support for You Bet Your Garden comes from Coast of Maine, creating organically approved gardening soils and plant foods for over 25 years. Part of Coast of Maine's mission is to be the most trusted partner to professionals and homeowners who believe that authentic, natural, and organic garden and lawn products play a critical role in the health of our communities and the living planet we share. Learn more at coastofmaine.com. How many kinds of manti could your garden have if your garden did have manti? I'm Mike McGrath, and on the next You Bet Your Garden, we'll discuss the different origins of the many species of praying mantis in our landscapes and what you should do or not do about them. Plus your dooby-dooby-doo phone calls. That's on the next You Bet Your Garden.